Hello and welcome back everybody. Uh, it's Yeshim Nicholson from Yes Career Coaching and this is another episode of Your Big Career Move and today I'm talking to John Spencer Williams, John Williams, but I know that on social media he goes as John Spencer Williams and um, I mean I'm always excited to speak to all my podcast guests but I'm, I'm extra excited today because I have been following stroke stalking but in a non-creepy way uh, John for a little while now and he puts out some amazing content um, a lot of it is for free um, and I don't know I, I find him very inspiring and I'm sure you will too uh, and he has this fabulous story to tell about how he left his job in a big corporate to do his own thing and follow his passion so without further ado thanks so much John for for being here today I appreciate your time oh. Thanks for inviting um, me. And if we could go straight into what you were doing, I know you had a, you know, what what people would call a very successful career in mm. in corporate. Can we start with that? I did um, ten years as a software developer, and and those are in small companies, startups, really, and I, I enjoyed that. And then I ended up in an internet consultancy, which is a it was a startup incubator, um, and then I got this chance to move to Deloitte. And our whole team at the startup incubator were kind of acquired almost uh, into um, Deloitte to start a new service line, doing consulting around uh, broadcast technology and broadcast strategy and stuff for you know TV broadcasters in the UK uh, and elsewhere. And um, uh, and I debated whether to join because I had another offer. The BBC wanted to hire me on an independent basis. And I took it in the end. I thought, well, this will look good on my CV. And, you know, I don't know. I'll, it'll be interesting because I'll be a high-flying. I'll be a senior managing consultant. But I, I think pretty much on day one, I realised I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> <laughs> and partly they'd done a little bait and switch because they knew we'd come from the startup world. So we were used to kind of hip, informal kind of cultures. And they they interviewed us in like the coolest building they've got. And then day one, they said, oh, yeah, turn up at this other building. And it looked like a kind of mausoleum. It was just like <laughs> with, with uh, like marble walls. And you went inside. It was the most depressing, looked like 1980s open plan office, just like like a like the local council or something. And I, and I just thought, oh, my God, this is terrible. Um, what have I done? <laughs> yeah, and uh, and after a year, I said, okay, I've got to get out of here. And um, I didn't really, you know, I mean, uh, some of my friends have been inside big consultancies in EY, KPMG, and Deloitte, <clears throat> and they love it, and it really suits them. So I don't want to kind of make out that, like, you know, there must be something wrong with you if you like Deloitte. For, for the right person, it's a great fit. And I was sitting yeah. next to people for whom it was their dream to be partner. Mm. And they would ask me in the in the review in the every six months or whatever, when do you want to be partner? Well, they asked me, I think I only had one review before I left. And I said, I don't. And, and they just like, wait, what? We, we don't know what to do because your entire process is is like, how do we stage you on the path to being, whether you're going to make it or not, it's beside the point. Mm -hmm. But like, when I said I don't want to be partner, they just went like, well, we don't know what to do now. <laughs> and <laughs> um, and I didn't want to be partner because you, you work terribly hard at something. I didn't have any kind of, 
I didn't, I, I, uh, it wasn't my passion. You know, there was one of the things I was being pushed to do was to help M MTV save like a God knows how many millions in tax. And I thought, I don't want to help MTV save tax. <laughs> it is like, because uh, we were doing a technology project. And they said, we can wrap in this tax angle and then you'll win the project. And I thought like, I don't feel like that's my mission on earth to help a giant corporation pay less tax into the British tax system. So anyway, um, I uh, I said I wanted to leave and after some arguing, they allowed me to kind of go away. Um, and uh, uh, and yeah, and I, I walked out with, with a plan to go and consult, doing similar consulting, but independently. Mm -hmm. And the plan was, like my daily rate at Deloitte was three thousand pounds a day, but that's what Deloitte charged, mm -hmm. and um, I I didn't get paid that, although I got did get paid very well. Um, and I thought, well, if I can just charge six hundred quid a day, I'll be making twice what I got paid in, with my salary and all my benefits. So then I can take half my time off because what I really want to do. Mm -hmm. So I went out there and went to win my first project. And I actually managed to get paid very quickly £1,100 a day, which is four times what I was effectively making per, per day in Deloitte. Mm -hmm. And that moment, I only need to work three months of the year. And I did yeah. some really interesting projects. So I was a specialist in managing large video projects. And I wrote a, helped to write a, a request for a proposal for the BBC for a million pound system. and um worked helped uh, Siemens to buy part of the BBC to buy what was BBC technology um and so there were some quite interesting things going on um John I'm just gonna interrupt you there for yeah. one second because you're making it sound far too easy yeah I did I forgot transition. the transition bit so yeah, the transition so bit, everybody forgot. that's listening that's going well that sounds pretty straightforward so I, I can do the BBC. that yeah. So is this, so if we just fill in a little detail on the and then I want to watch the BBC. That bit Easy. was I decided I wanted to work for the BBC and I talk about this in, in the book F Word Let's Play. And I decided I wanted to work with BBC for a number of different reasons. And I found in life if you've got at least three reasons for something, it's normally a good decision. Normally it turns out well. And one was I thought it looked really good on my CV to have the BBC. It's big, one of the best known brands in the world. Um, secondly, I'd always dreamed of uh, working in the BBC as a child, because like, whereas other people dreamed of being an actor or an actress or something, I dreamed of being a cameraman or something and doing mm. something geeky. Mm. So I wanted to be at BBC TV Centre. And uh, thirdly, I'd, we'd been selling software into the BBC. I'd met loads of people. They're all lovely. And they were doing really interesting projects as well. So they were doing quite cutting edge stuff there. So for all those reasons, I thought, I am going to be laser focused on getting a gig at the BBC as an independent consultant. And what I did was I then ran a campaign around that. And this is what I advocate. If you want to do something that feels like a stretch, laser focus on it. Don't do what everybody else does. You say, well, you know, I'll take whatever I can get and spray your focus everywhere. I um, just called everybody I knew at the BBC I called everybody I knew who sold software into the BBC, called everyone who'd ever consulted to the BBC. I read Broadcast Magazine, which is the trade magazine, and I read the section about technology projects, and I cold-called or cold-emailed the people who said, 
you know, who are mentioned saying such and such is leading a project to do something uh, with online video. And so I just is this while them. you were still at Deloitte? That, and I started that, that while I was left. No, I started that while I was still at Deloitte. Okay. And I'd made my commitment to leave, at least personally, in my own mm-hmm. head. And before I'd even told them I was going to quit. So I okay. just went right at it. Mm-hmm. And then when they said, okay, you can leave, um, because uh, I was trying to negotiate to get paid my uh my notice period rather than having to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that would give me a little bit of buffer. And um, and and then basically I'd quit my job and I, you know, was out, been out for a few weeks, had no money coming in and um, and nothing had happened. So I, I'd thrown everything at this and nothing had happened. So what's happening morning, in your head at this point where you've literally, you've jacked it all in, yeah. you've got this big dream and nothing's happening. What's going on in your head at this point? I, I don't know. I was, well, I was asleep at the point they phoned and <laughs> I was in bed because I'm, I'm not a very early riser. And they phoned me at like nine o'clock or something. Who's that? And he said, it's um, recording from BBC Broadcast, as it used to be called. And uh, wondering if you could come for an interview today. And, uh, and I went, uh, yeah, yeah. So I went for an interview and uh, they said, can you start Monday? And that was how I, the first project was helping to write this proposal for uh, a giant software system to manage all of the, all the digital assets, all the video that pumps out of the broadcast center at the BBC. It's now called Red, Red B or something like that. It was privatized. So, um, uh, and I got that project. That was the first project. And I also got one uh, with Siemens shortly after that, I think. So, yeah, I mean, I, there's a weird part of me because I'm quite an anxious, neurotic person, but there's a weird part of me which just decides like, F it, I'm not giving in. I'm just like, uh, I'm, I'm going to do this even if it kills me. I'd rather like be, you know, risk homelessness mm-hmm. than go back into a job. And for some reason, even though I'm, I don't consider myself a particularly brave person, occasionally that part of me kicks in and, um, uh, and it paid off. Fortunately. And, you know, I was clearly I was having I was sending all these messages. I was getting people going, oh, yeah, that sounds interesting. Yeah, I think we might be able to use you at some point. So it, was, it wasn't like I was getting like a complete, you know, tumbleweed response from the market. That's mm-hmm. a bad sign because mm-hmm. this is what I help people to do. Start a business from scratch, even if it's like a consulting business. So if, you, if you're getting like complete silence, people go like, no, like, why would we ever use you? And that's obviously a bad sign and you, it may not oh, pay great. So I felt that it was going to happen, uh, probably just whether I run out of money and default on the mortgage before it did. And unfortunately, I didn't. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that worked for a while. And then I, I, I also took the chance while I was doing that to do psychotherapy training. So I, mm-hmm. I was on a training course for psychotherapists, which is brilliant, for the, particularly with the first year of it. I stayed on that for a few years because it wasn't much... Um, didn't take many days after the first year. I also did coach training the year after that. So I became a qualified life coach. And then um, I started, oh, I was still doing stand-up comedy. So the point I quit Deloitte, I did, before I quit Deloitte, I enrolled myself on a stand-up comedy course. And it's 12 weeks and you practice in a London uh, comedy club uh, with an experienced comic and you write material and you perform it. And on the last day, 
you invite all your friends on a Saturday night and you do five minutes of material. And hopefully Is that you just because you fancied, I, do you know, I read somewhere years ago that all men have this secret desire to be a stand-up comedian. I don't know if really? that's true. That's interesting. But, yeah, but is that, is it something that you just always fancied doing or... Well, I think I, just... always, I pride myself on my sense of humour. I think I like to think I'm funny. And mm -hmm. and I think after a while, you know, I, I grew up with terrible, terrible self-esteem. And and after like the hundredth person that, that you know, said you're funny and, uh, and said, maybe you should do something funny, you know, like mm -hmm. write funny or, or whatever. And I've written a couple of articles. I'd written one for the Reader's Digest, which I've been paid for about um having a brain scan so i had a brain mm -hmm. scan and it just ended up being this sort of comedy fiasco and i don't know i have this kind of gallows sense of humor it comes from some you know childhood trauma probably but like you know it's left me with this very dark sense of humor that i enjoy uh inflicting on other people so i wrote this piece <laughs> for the reader's digest about getting my brain scanned and 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 because uh, i'm claustrophobic i went and asked the the, the the scan chief as I called her the radiologist before and I said what can I do she goes well I recommend you have a, a beer or two and she says just don't get so drunk but you fall off a table and I went okay excellent I said this sound like excellent medical advice but I could comply with and then uh, there's this moment I put in the article where I'm I'm walking down uh the, the south bank in London or towards uh, St Thomas's Hospital for this brain scan drinking a can of Stella on the street and uh, and suddenly I see my endocrinologist walking towards me. So I'm having a scan because my pituitary gland doesn't work. My endocrinologist walking towards me, this man who's ever going like, you know, are you, are you keeping up with your diet and all this kind of stuff? And, and, and I'm walking, looking like a wandering drunk. And I'm going like, what am I going to say to him? And I said, fortunately, the last moment he pretended not to recognize me. So it was a very English response that we we just Brilliant. we just like you know <laughs> pretended we hadn't seen each other, even though we walked right past. So it was kind of that uh, that vibe, and and I, and I thought, okay, that's that's fun, but actually, right? It turns out writing funny and performing funny are two very different things. So it took me a long time. Mm -hmm. To come up with material that made people laugh out loud so that was my challenge with stand-up comedy but i i really think it helped me to escape deloitte because it was just like sometimes you just need to do something sometimes you just yes. need to do something random and insane yeah. and and shift the energy you know it sound a bit woo woo to kind of just shake yourself up a bit you know a okay. friend of mine said you know she joined a was she trying to decide what to do for her career she joined a choir and just loved it. And um, and something about that, and it went, once you're in the flow and you're doing something you really enjoy that's challenging, exciting, then the prospect of like emailing a hundred people at the BBC doesn't seem, you know, compared to getting up on stage at a stand-up comedy club, it's not that big a deal. It's no big deal at all. Mm. And I couldn't agree more with you. And I, that's my advice to my clients as well, is if you're, it's always spending time with the same people in the same environment, reading the same sort of books or watching the same crap on Netflix or whatever, yeah. then your brain is not wired to think differently at all. Yeah. You know, it, it needs different stimulation. You need to be doing something completely different for your brain because they, they just people get stuck 
And then they think, I don't actually know what I'm passionate about anymore. I don't know what I enjoy anymore. And it's like, mm. well, that's because you've been doing the same old thing with the same. And that happens a lot, so right? Long. So <laughs> yeah. there, there's a because I, you know, I was a career coach at the beginning, mm. and and now I help people, uh, you know, market themselves and create a successful business around their skills. So it's it's evolved, but um, in that process, from I'm not happy with my job, I want to start my own thing. There's a bunch of phases which are very distinct. And one of them is, I don't know what I want to do. And it's huge, right? So if anyone's thinking like, I want to work for myself, but I don't know what I want to do, just know that you're not in a small category there. There's a huge number of people like that. And and, and there's a phase even before that, because there's a phase of like, I need to work out what I want to do. There's a phase before that, which is I need to know what I feel. Because if you are not connected to your feelings and to your body. It's very difficult to know. It's very difficult to make decisions. And there's a huge number of people in that category. Yeah, It's more common in men than women. It's not exclusive mm-hmm. to one or the other, but it's, it's much more common. I was like that when I was uh, in, up until I was 30 years old and I started psychotherapy and some other stuff. Um, but yeah, look, there's a lot of men walking around who sort of, as a friend of mine describes it, they, they consider their body to be a brain taxi. So all it's doing is it's carrying their head, their skull around with the brain in it, which really matters. And, and they don't think about their body and they don't treat it well and they don't, they're not connected to it. So then when you go like, well, do you like, do you think you'd like doing this? They go like, mm. they've got no data to go on because all the data Absolutely. comes from below the, yeah. uh, you know, below the skull, unfortunately. That's where yeah. your feelings and sensations are and instincts are. Yeah. And we, we're not very good at that. We, we have switched off what, what's actually going on inside. Mm. And we're so externally focused, aren't we? Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's reconnecting with that, that inner voice and switching yeah. off all the other noise, isn't it? And, so, and you have no, to know that you can't, the, the other thing, and I write about this in the book, the, you can't work out what you want to do with your life just by sitting and thinking about it. Because it'll only get you so far. Yeah. And so the problem is because at school we've been taught that like if you can't crack a problem, just think a bit longer. That works for maths problems and for chess problems, but it doesn't work for life decisions. Yeah. So the only thing that works when you're trying to make decisions is is experiential learning. So you've got to try stuff out. You've got to. Um, I've got a concept in the book of a play project. So if you think, you know, I I for a while I thought, well, maybe I want to be a stand-up comic. Mm-hmm. And what I did was I did that course. I did five gigs and it went quite well. Uh, one of them, uh, at least one, I completely died, but um, they were mostly okay. And, and I thought, you know, I think I could have a shot at this. I don't mm-hmm. think I'm a natural, amazing talent. But you see, you know, you see these people like Eddie Izzard or, or uh, Chris Rock or someone. Mm-hmm. Um, who they just seem to have this incredible spark from the beginning, but I think I could do something. And I was at this, standing in this comedy club in, in you know, the early two, 2001 or something, people were still allowed to smoke in pubs, right? So it was smoky upstairs, it was horrible. And I thought, do I wanna do two gigs a night, every night of every week for no money until I start getting paid 30 pounds, mm-hmm. petrol money? Mm-hmm. in the hope that I'm going to become a stand-up comic. And then I'm performing the same material every night, which I don't want to do because I want to 
I like the spontaneity of yeah. making things up. And and I went, uh, well, you know, I don't, no, I don't want it enough. And even if I could get it, I don't want to perform the same comedy routine every night. That doesn't excite me. So, so have you found a way of incorporating this desire to, I don't know, is it a desire to make people laugh or to share your funny stories? Have you managed yeah, to incorporate I think so. that in your day-to-day life anyway? Yeah, because I, I think it comes it comes up with clients, it comes up in interviews, it it, mm-hmm. it comes up in my talks I give, mm-hmm. uh, it comes out in my writing to a certain extent. Um, so I feel satisfied. I mean, I occasionally think maybe I could go and do a routine or something, but I think I would be more tempted to craft like uh, a, a talk that's related to my current business, but make it really funny. And so it would be, it wouldn't be a straight stand-up routine, but it would be somewhere in between the two. And, mm-hmm. and that might be fun. But um otherwise I'm um yeah, I don't I'm not I don't feel like I've lost some part of myself. I feel like it's very satisfied just from moment to moment, really. Yeah. Well it sounds like you've um had quite a varied and um I guess um what's the word I'm looking for it's it's been an interesting career today hasn't it it's been yeah. lots of it's been a wiggly career let's say yeah who's been who's been part of your support network um I think that's a big thing I think you, I've got a huge number of people who have supported me along the way and I've had coaches um and you know that I've paid for I've got friends um I'm a fan of therapy. I've been in psychotherapy for like 20 something years. Um, I've been in a men's group for 18 years. Wow. Same men's group. Um, and I've done all sorts of, you know, I've done retreats. I've been in masterminds. And I also know that whatever happened now, I've got such a big network that, mm. you know, if I got sued, I mean, I could probably find somebody to help with a couple of my friends are lawyers, um, but I could probably find somebody who could help me. Whatever it is I can think of, whatever it is I think I need, I know there's someone I can phone straight away. And that's, but it is a huge thing because yeah. people think it's all about you doing it on your own, but that's it's not really. You look at all successful entrepreneurs, they're not doing it on their own. They all have networks like that. And I know if I have a health problem, you know, I've explored all sorts of natural health stuff. Uh, and and I know, like, if I put my back out, I know who I'm going to phone. Mm. If, uh, you know, I was diagnosed with something horrible, I, I know who I phone. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's that makes a huge amount of difference to life. And how deliberate have you been about creating the network? Or has it just happened organically? I think, you know, early on, I was trying to get over a somewhat uh, unhappy childhood. So I was asking for recommendations for uh, therapists and uh, complementary health practitioners, um, doctors and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so um, I've, you know, I explicitly went out to look for that. But people tell me I'm really well connected now, but I know lots of people in particularly in the sort of 
I know lots of writers. No, I know lots of nonfiction writers, and I know um, you know lots of people in the business coaching world, which is what I'm in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that, I don't go out and schmooze people deliberately like that. I kind of just talk to people I find interesting. Who mm. you know, you said you were stalking me, and you you found what I was doing interesting. So then you you know we've arranged to do this. That's just yeah. the way I do things. And then because yeah. I've been doing it a long time. I effectively started this business more or less in 2005. Mm-hmm. So um, so I've met a lot of people along the way, met some of my heroes. One or two of those didn't turn out too well. But, uh, it's always the way though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> uh, not to meet them. Yeah. And then, um, you know, and, and some of them become friends and um, mm. collaborators and all sorts of stuff. So to anybody that's listening, I mean, would you and, and they feel like they don't have a network um, that's supporting them? You know, I'm, I speak to a lot of people who uh, have, have been in really successful careers, um, but actually they're surrounded by people like them. So people who yeah. are in the corporate world who that's all they've ever known. Um, and stepping away from that is, you know, it's just never going to happen for many, many reasons. But if somebody's listening to this and they're like, actually, I do want to leave. I do want mm. to do something else. I've got this passion to do something else, but yeah. I don't feel like I've got the network for that. What would your advice be? I would do a play project that builds your network. So I, um, when I. explain what a play project is. I know what you mean. because Yeah. I, like you said, so I'm this is what I talk ever. about. In, in <laughs> secret three of F World Let's Play. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> a play project is something you do because you want to do it. That's going to be the first thing. You just want to do it, even if it gives you nothing at the end, mm-hmm. you know, nothing practical. And, and, it, and the project should produce something. It should produce value for others. It's not just about, you know, it's not you building your website for a future business because that's bullshit. It's not you Googling, you know, researching, which is really just Googling reasons why something won't work. It's you doing the thing and connecting with people and um, uh, and then seeing what happens. And so the example I uh, had was um, I was interested in this, interested in the concept of scanners. So a scanner is somebody, mm-hmm. it's a term from a US author called Barbara Sher. It's Scher. a Barbara Sher, isn't it? Yeah. It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. I became, you know, I got to know Barbara. Um, oh, amazing. Yeah, has she passed away now? She has, sadly. Yeah, so in 2020, I think. Yeah, Yeah, she was in her 80s. She was amazing. She was, yeah, great. Mm -hmm. And I went on her scanners retreat in Greece at one point. Fantastic. So she was one of your heroes that remained a hero. She didn't let you down. She, we did have a bit of a falling out, but anyway, Uh, we won't go there then. She was, she she was quite, uh, uh, quite difficult person to get on with, but in, in some ways. But she was great at what she did. Mm. And um, she, uh, anyway, this concept of scanners is very interesting. So a scanner is somebody who's got lots of ideas, lots of interests, um, uh, loves starting uh, loves starting things, not very good at finishing things, loves learning for the sake of learning, mm-hmm. but they get bored really easy. So you start learning, you know, I got into Japanese grammar. I found it absolutely fascinating. Amazing. And then I went, okay, I'm done. And then like never touched it again. I went yeah. to Japan and I spoke, you know, Japanese while I was there. Then I went like, oh, I want to learn counselling now. And then I did counselling at, at evening class. 
and then uh, you know all sorts of other things. So you know, at the moment, I'm interested in AI, and I'm kind of absorbing stuff about AI. Mm. Um, and so that we have these, in, we cycle through these interests, and other people will call us, you know, a dilettante or a jack of all trades. But in actual fact, scanners, I think, are particularly suited to the modern world. And if you think, if you operate successfully, and I had a disagreement with Barbara about what that involves, but if you actually want to live a meaningful life, and particularly if you want to earn a living, you need to follow through on things to the point where you produce value. Yeah. And then that's how you can get paid. Yeah. And um, and so you need to actually, uh, yeah, you need to put things out into the world, for instance. Mm -hmm. And uh, because I was interested in this topic, I put a, a, a notice on... <clears throat> um Barbara's bulletin board or whatever it was called back then mm -hmm. in 2000 actually I think it was 2007 and said who wants to meet up in London and talk about being a scanner mm -hmm. and we had six people meet up at the ICA bar in in London it's quite a cool bar yeah. and one of them was my friend Liz who I'd known for a few years um one was a client who I was coaching at the time I was doing careers coaching mm -hmm. and and then there were a bunch of randoms off the internet and and so we met and we just talked about being a scanner. We talked about our ideas and how we handled all our interests and all that kind of stuff. And in the end, this guy said like, okay, then when's the next one? I went like, what? And he goes like, well, let's do it again. We're like, okay. So, so I just picked some random date and we did it again. Mm. And then at some point I thought, well, maybe I'll do this properly. And uh, as soon as I had that thought, somebody said, hey, do you want this person to come and speak at your event because at that point I think I'd started calling it scanners night it was called scanner mm -hmm. night and uh and he's they said you I'm a friend of Jürgen Wolf and he's a former Hollywood scriptwriter. he's written multiple books about the creative process he can come and talk about how to be creative and I was brilliant mm -hmm. I love it and then somebody else said hey I've got this really cool venue it's a room above a bar it's like it's really futuristic you can use it for free. I went like, yeah, right. Awesome. So we, we had a venue, we had Jürgen and, and uh, everyone had a drink and listened to him and did exercises and chatted. And then we, you know, did it every month and I started charging for it and it made, you know, a grand a month or whatever. And what that did in the process is that I met, so I met Jürgen, I've met all sorts of people who've gone on to be collaborators, who become friends, I featured in the book. Uh, so some of the people in the book spoke at Scanners Night. Um, I met my agent, Jacqueline, who's also a friend now. She, we've done three books together. Uh, I met a girlfriend once there. Uh, we went out for a couple of years. So that it, we, I did build a network. I, I had no plan on too, well, it's only back then I was too disorganized to actually plan anything. But I that effectively built my network. So a podcast does a similar thing. Yeah. Um, you can choose any kind of project you want. And, you know, if you say to, like for instance, if I was to start an AI, if I wanted to get into AI more, if I want to say to like somebody who's really famous in AI, Mo Gordat, right? He just brought a book out. He was, he was a Google. And I said, hey, Mo, do you want to go for a coffee? You go like, mm. who are you? But if I say like, hey, I'm doing a podcast, of bringing AI to the masses and make allowing yeah. people to understand, could can you spare thirty minutes to do a podcast? Yeah. I've got a 50-50 chance. You'll say yes. Yeah. And then, like now, I've got Mo Gordat's phone number, 
right? Yeah. And then like, so when I did, I did a <laughs> podcast. Now that I'm saying this is theoretical. I haven't actually, I'm just, <laughs> I was listening to his book this morning, which is why I was yeah. thinking of it. But I do have like, I did that with my own podcast. Mm-hmm. When this book came out, when FYL Let's Play came out, I went back to Dan Pink and Nia Ayor, who've written amazing nonfiction books, business books, um, mm-hmm. Derek Sivers um, and others. And they gave me these amazing blurbs, which are in the book and they're on the Amazon page. And it was like, you know, if I'd asked them off the cuff, they probably would have gone, well, who are you? So in that sense, so I recommend you choose a project that's going to build your network, but one that will be fun. So if your project, you know, you've got to, the point of a play project is you would do it even if it brought you nothing. Because you just go, I just want to do this. It's just fun. Yeah. And I write you funny enough, because I'm, I'm thinking of doing a live event around AI and I'm trying to decide. And I, I've i got chat GPT to coach me on it. This is an AI, of course. Cool. And <laughs> and it, and I said, should I do this? And it, and it goes, oh, no, I said, should I charge for it or can I make money out of it? Which is it was answering all the same stuff I tell clients. Right. Mm-hmm. But when they when I'm working on their ideas with them and one of the things it said is, uh, what you should do is don't do it to make money. Do it because you want to do it and because you believe that everyone needs to know about AI. And coincidentally, whatever the word is, ironically, that will actually probably make you a more successful event and makes you more money. And I went, that's exactly what I tell clients. <laughs> so chat GPT. Yeah, I, well, I have such such mixed uh conflicting views of ai part of yeah. you know part of me is like oh my god it's amazing how yeah. cool and then the other half is it's bloody scary because it, it yeah you know it is going to replace so many things it is yeah it is scary uh, and i think you know sam altman who basically created it he's the co-founder of open ai he says he is scared yeah. <laughs> and like he's creating it so uh he's and, and- a monster Part of it is just the speed of change because mm. if a whole bunch of people lose their job overnight, then that's it's mm. difficult for the job market to to then start producing yeah. other jobs. You know, over time that will probably work out, but if it happens too fast, it will be bad news. I think for me, it's more that it could be used for. I mean, evil might be a strong word, but that, oh, that's yeah. no, kind of what it I'm absolutely thinking. will be. It absolutely <clears throat> will be. Mm. Yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, I think there are many good things that come out of it, yeah. but um, equally quite scary yeah. things, actually. Anyway, I, I'm already looking for a desert island to buy. Something. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, the billionaires have already bought them. Peter Thiel's, yeah, yeah but a lot of them have done that, <laughs> alarmingly. Right. Well, I mean, I don't blame them. If I was a billionaire, I'd be doing the same. Yeah. Maybe I just need to befriend one of them. But uh, live yeah, somewhere where yeah. there's no internet and we just go back to basics. I think um, yeah. there might be something like that in the future that we just mm. turn our back on everything technology. But who knows? Mm. Uh, going back to you and your journey. Nowadays, what's your definition of success? Um, well, I was, I'm writing a book that has the word success in it at the moment, and um, yeah, I'm working on a proposal for it. And mm-hmm. um, I just submitted it to my agent this morning. Uh, and the I found this quote, if I chat GPT gave me this quote, I think, okay. which was, <laughs> uh, who was it? Oh, it was Maya Angelou, which is success mm-hmm. is 
doing what you like with who you like when you like or something like that I, for me that is the that's a big part of it however i also like money and fame mm-hmm. so you know i'm not one of these sort of you know egoless gurus who pretends not to care about that i i um yeah i i like money and i like um what it gives you and i quite like being you know very slightly famous and so um i would i think you need both i think you need the doing what you love in the way you like and the real measure of success is that you're providing value to the world and that usually means almost always there's a way to monetize that so uh you know if you're completely happy writing songs endlessly all day and every day and everybody hates them I don't think that's the same as you writing songs and practicing and watching what people respond to and going like, oh yeah, okay. And changing what you're doing and then ending up with this fan base who loves what you do. I Mm. think that's more meaningful personally. I like that. Mm. And to anybody that's listening, that's thinking I'd really like to make a career change. What would your advice be? I know you could probably talk for about three days on this. Well, in terms of changing, you know, I talk in in the book about breaking the rules and customized jobs. So, you know, creating a new job from scratch. Because the last three jobs I had before I left Deloitte and declared I never wanted a job ever again um, were custom made. So one was a combination of two jobs at a software company. One was custom made at Deloitte with five of us creating a whole new service line. And then the one before that, I was at the uh, incubator I worked at and they kind of made that, um, made that job for me. And so I, that's what I suggest you do. Think outside the box, be willing to do play projects that get you noticed. Like if you want to get into a particular field, run something, be the person who, runs the event, runs a networking event, creates the successful podcast, um, whatever it might be, uh, or shadow somebody who's doing that and go and just help them. And so step out of that world where everybody else is competing, looking at listings on job sites, sending covering letters, unplug from that world and just go off piste and create your own world by you know, doing things you want to do and taking ownership of them. You know, Scanners Night could have led to, or scanner, writing, uh, running Scanners Night could have led to an event, uh, a career in events for me. I had no idea yeah. what I was doing. It's completely incompetent. But, but by the end of it, I can tell you how to run an event really easily in London. I mean, it's quite, it would take me a while, but yeah, I could download that six years of, of learning and, and exactly the pricing tricks and the, how to get people to bring friends and all this kind you know, I can tell you every single part of that. So are you still running those events? Or have you stopped? That? No, I don't run that anymore because um, I felt like it had just run its course and, uh, and I wanted to focus on the rest of the business of, of, I was running group programs. So I wanted to focus on running a successful group program and use the yeah. time and headspace for that. Yeah. But I'm debating, you know, whether to do one around AI because I think it would be fun. It's not in any way related to my business, really. But well, let me know if you do. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'd be keen to join. 
Yeah. If yeah. you if you suddenly had you wake up tomorrow morning and you've got I don't know hundred billion pounds in there mm. in your bank account, how much would your life change? I think um, so. That's the test, really. You know, I talk about getting paid to play, get paid to play, doing the things you would do in some form, even if you didn't need the money. And what I would be doing is I'd be writing. I'd be reading books. I'll be having interesting conversations with people. Mm -hmm. I'll be helping people with their ideas. And I'd be just. I probably have a bit more time for like fun, creative projects for my own play projects. I'd have more time for that. And so the way I work to people might change. I might only, I might work with a smaller number of people, have a much more, like currently people pay for like six months of coaching and they pay a set cost. I would probably do something where I go, okay, I part own the business mm -hmm. and you don't pay for my time, but I'm willing to take a punt for you're going to succeed. And we just hang out as much as we need till we got this thing really, really yeah. cooking. And, that but I've essentially fun, be doing, hmm? yeah. That sounds fun. Yeah, and I don't know. So I'm doing all of that already in mm. some form, but uh, I'd be doing. I'd probably be taking it a bit easier. To be honest, I'm a bit lazy, yeah. so I don't. I'm not one of these people who can't. Well, who, who's sort of incredibly driven to just work relentlessly. That's not me. <laughs> uh, but I am driven to create yeah. and to keep creating. Well, what I do love is we said this just before I hit record that, you know, you're in you're in Mexico one minute and then the oh, next yeah. minute you were in Thailand. Mm. And um, I think for a lot of people, that's a really enviable lifestyle. Yeah, I really recommend not doing that because I it, it only today do I feel like I've recovered from the trip because I was <laughs> in Mexico for a month, which is fine. And that was like bare five hours behind. And then mm -hmm. I came back for two weeks readjusted to GMT and then went to Thailand it's eight hours ahead and when I came back from Thailand I felt like I'd been run over by a truck I mean just even yesterday I thought like am I terminally ill is there something wrong with me I'm a bit of a hypochondriac and today I finally feel like oh it's actually starting to turn around now I feel like a is human. that just from the jet lag John or I think what? it's jet lag and mm. just just and and also you know it's a 15-hour journey I was on a, I was on a, I was in economy class and I went like I I've got to like start traveling business class I got to make this business make I was, the business does well but I'm like I got to make enough money I can afford to blow five grand on a business class seat because yeah. I ain't doing yeah. this again um yeah. so it was it was just that it completely exhausted me but but the traveling is great fun and I I spend a month to two months out of the country uh, yeah. in winter because i hate the british winter it's just yeah. on forever. yep i couldn't agree more with you and mm. we're, I, as we're recording this it's raining cats and dogs outside yeah. and somebody's forgotten to tell somebody out there that it's meant to be spring yeah <laughs> yeah I forgot to um, share that anyway i i realize i've taken up quite a lot of your time mm. um i've really enjoyed chatting to you <clears throat> and i think a lot of the things that you shared today are going to be really really um, going to resonate with people and I think hopefully will make people take action yeah. so thanks so much for your time I, I really appreciate it thanks John no my pleasure thanks for inviting me and uh, people can find out about the book on Amazon if you look for ah, yes f well let's play yes. um, I, I have my copy here yeah and I mean genuinely I'm not just saying this mm. but um, I look I always have a pencil 
yeah. when I'm reading a, a, a non-fiction book mm. and because um, I like to underline and make notes yeah, and whatever um, <clears throat> and very genuinely this is this book has got lots of underlined yeah, bits um, <laughs> it's a it's a really it's a great book it's really easy to read and yeah. um, you give lots of real examples in it as well um, I I really enjoy it so yeah, yeah. If, thank you if yeah. anybody's looking for a book recommendation I really recommend yeah. it it's F Work Let's Play by John Williams and I think thank it's available you. well I think I bought mine on Amazon I'm sure it's available at most in fact didn't I see yeah. it was a bestseller at um w. yeah it was it was non-fiction book of the month at WH Smith's and uh then business book of the month or the opposite way around and it was in, a couple of weeks ago it was in the top 10 business books uh in WH Smith's in train stations and airports um yeah, yeah. and if people want to find me um just look for John Spencer Williams. I'm, I'm on LinkedIn, um, and I'm, I post every day on LinkedIn. So uh, find me there. Yeah. Send a message if you've listened and enjoyed it. Yeah. Happy to and say I'll, I'll, happy to I'll include I'll include all your contact details in the show notes as well. Yeah. So cool. if anybody wants to connect with you, they'll be able yeah. to do that. So okay. thanks again, John. Cool. All right. Thank you.